Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 10, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Chirey, and in this episode, I'll be performing three tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Corpse Child, about venomous voices, adamant apparitions, and calamitous companions. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail... So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Come, sit down, and let me tell you a tale. 
I might not always start the evening off with those words exactly, but being able to set the mood in such a way is a long storytelling tradition, starting long before any of us have been around. It's the way stories around the campfire tend to get started, drawing us in just before the teller screams out or has their friend jump out of the woods with a chainsaw to scare everyone, or realizing their friend with a chainsaw isn't that tall or promised to use makeup that creepy. But a lot of the time, these storytellers are here just to entertain, not promising what they tell is real or based on something that actually happened. But what if they were? What then do you do when you find out that the storyteller, say a dear uncle, isn't really making those stories up at all? What happens when you go out looking for trouble, not knowing what to believe? Well, we have a story from Corpse Child to help ask those questions. But whether we will get any answers. Without further ado, I present to you, Keep the Boat Rowing. How's the old saying go? Whatever's happening, keep the cat turning. Essentially, it means that whatever's going on around you, keep your head down and get the job done. Stay focused on the task at hand and not get distracted. Well, growing up, I was taught a different variant. No matter what you see or hear, don't stop rowing. Now, if I was given a nickel for every time I was spoon-fed that line by my Uncle Harvey... I'd be stupid rich. Every occasion I'd go to visit him at his lake house up in Grenview Pines, of which there were many, especially in the summertime, he'd always recite this to me. There'd be wicked whisperings in that lake, boy he'd always tell me. Of course, for the longest time, I never got what he meant by that. I figured he was just trying to give me a good scare, getting me to wet the bed at night, you know? And to his credit, at least back then, it kind of worked. The lake in question would be the wide, clear lake that ran all through the mountain pass and further into the neighboring mountain. It was always so pretty and so transparent that looking into it was like looking into the cleanest, shiniest, most polished mirror. It was sometimes said you'd even be able to see parts of your face that you'd miss in a mirror. Now, couple this with the already colorful visage of the rest of Grenview, with its bright green leafy trees, omnipresently blooming flowers, even somehow in the winter months, too, and it always was in perfect position against the sun's rays, and you'd think, like most did, that my uncle had popped a few too many loose. How could something so beautiful be that dangerous, right? At least that's what people, most people, in and out of my family thought, though my dad was a bit of an exception. He, however, was adamant that there was something off about the place. He'd never talk about it in front of me or try to tell me anything about his beliefs, but I could always tell that dad was never too fond of the place, even if he did tell me that there was nothing in the lake. He'd always try to talk to Mom out of going to visit Uncle Harvey. And usually, when he did, 
he'd do it with a dire, almost ominous look on his face. Of course, Mom would always shut him down, telling him to nut up and that he needed to reinforce the value of family time to me. Personally, I didn't much mind the place. I saw Grandview Pines the way Mom and others did. A beautiful spot to book a weekend or a holiday getaway. I'd even, despite Uncle Harvey's ghost stories, look forward to fishing in the lake on his canoe. At least until my 16th birthday. That was the last time I ever went anywhere near Grandview Pines, and if I can help it, it'll stay that way. We'd gathered for a large cookout like we had on all our previous birthdays. You see, Uncle Harvey, for all his eccentric ways in trying to scare me, loved to grill out. He had one of those great big smokers, and he'd use it to grill not only some of the juiciest, most delicious burgers you'd ever tasted, but he'd also grill up some of the fish he kept stored away in his icebox. Those, as well as some vegetables, all of them seasoned to indescribable perfection. In short, the man was a genius at cooking. The grilled trout, in particular, was always my favorite. He always seemed to know how to douse it with just enough lemon to give it a sour tinge to tickle my tongue, while also using enough salt and other seasonings to keep its natural, savory flavor. Typically, he'd always have a nice big one caught and ready for the grill when my birthday or other holidays came around. But this time was different. This time, he told me that he had something even more special for me in mind this time. Getting to be a man now, he told me, grabbing my shoulders like he was about to present me with an award. Man's supposed to be able to provide his own fish. He then led me outside where there sat in his old canoe two sets of oars and two fishing rods with a bucket of bait. He told me this year his present to me was that he was going to teach me how to fish and grill out like he did. I tried to play it off like I could have cared less when he told me, though it was obvious that I couldn't have been more excited. I'd always wanted to go fishing, but given that I lived in the suburbs, that wasn't exactly a feasible hobby for me. He handed me one of the rods. Here, this one will be yours. It was a brand new bright red steel rod with a fresh spool of line. He handed me a hook and taught me how to string it to the end. That's when Dad came running over and bowled Uncle Harvey to the side. I couldn't hear much of anything that was being said, but I could tell something was off. Dad's face looked anxious, like how I said earlier, and he kept covering his face with his hands, something he only did when he was panicking. You're not seriously going to try taking him through there, are you? Through the whispering current? I saw Uncle Harvey putting his hand on Dad's shoulder, telling him to relax or something. Absolutely. Out of your damn mind? Dad all but shouted. Look, I'll be right there with him. He'll be fine. Fine? Through there with you? Yeah, remind me again how that ended last time. What's going on? I asked, cutting Dad off. They both snapped to look at me. What's wrong with me fishing on the lake with Uncle Harvey? Dad stole glances back and forth between Uncle Harvey and me. Look, 
I said no. Your dad's being a scaredy cat, Uncle Harvey remarked. He thinks you'll be taken. Dad glanced at Uncle Harvey, and if looks could kill, we'd have been digging his grave where he stood. Taken by what? I asked. Dad turned back at me. By the whispers. But Dad, I thought you said that was just a cheap ghost story to scare kids with. Cheap ghost story, huh? Uncle Harvey chided. Dad buried his face in his hands again. I actually saw him start trembling. I almost thought he was going to have a heart attack right there in the backyard. Sure, Uncle Harvey continued. So I guess you have a better way of explaining what happened to... That's enough, Dad shouted, causing my heart to skip about two beats. I said no, and that's final. With that, he turned and stormed off back toward the house. I turned to Uncle Harvey, hoping he'd say or do something to fix the situation. Instead, he just sighed and told me to head back to the house, that he'd go ahead and catch my birthday trout. I hung my head down and did as I was told. When I got back to the house, I essentially locked myself away in the guest room uh, I always took when I'd visit. I remember looking out the window, thinking of how much fun I could have been having catching my very first fish. I remember wondering what Dad's problem was. What was he so worked up about? There's nothing in the lake, right? Then I started thinking back to what Uncle Harvey was saying about being taken by whispers. Not only that, but what was Dad talking about when he said last time? I knew that there was something my old man wasn't telling me. But what? Well, that evening, around five, Uncle Harvey came back with a four-and-a-half-foot trout and a few extra bass he caught and immediately fired up his smoker. As you might imagine, things were kind of tense between me, my dad, and my uncle that night as we sat and ate around a fire in the backyard. Nothing was said, but I wasn't exactly subtle about my disappointment towards Dad either. Uncle Harvey tried to break the silence by asking me general questions about how things were back home. Stuff like, was I staying out of trouble? What were my grades in school like? And if I was seeing any pretty girls yet. I answered mostly with shrugs, and yeah, I guess those. That was more than what my old man was willing to offer him. He just stayed silent, eyes not leaving his plate, when Uncle Harvey tried speaking to him. I won't lie. Despite not saying anything, I was hurt by his behavior. I mean, it was my 16th birthday, for God's sakes, and he just sat there basically ignoring my uncle and me after shooting down my hopes of going fishing, not to mention that he couldn't even have the balls to tell me why. Once he was done scarfing his food down, like he couldn't be done quick enough. He threw his plate in the fire he had in front of us and took off back toward the house, leaving me alone with Uncle Harvey. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Eventually, I finished my plate and was about to head back inside myself when Uncle Harvey stopped me. Hey, he said, grinning mischievously. Even before he said what he did next, some part of me knew he had something planned, something he didn't want Dad to know about. You want to go have some fun? I looked at him, somewhat dubious, yet also excited. Uh, Yeah, sure, I replied, trying to play it cool like I was earlier. Still grinning, he pulled out from under his chair two fishing rods. You still want to fish, don't you? I almost jumped from my own chair. Hell yeah, I exclaimed. He chuckled and warned me to keep it down. Then he got up and dumped a bucket of water on the fire before telling me to follow him to the edge of the lake. Just like before, there sat the canoe with both fishing poles propped against it. I eagerly snatched mine and he told me to hop in the boat and he'd launch us in. As I was settling into the canoe, he tossed me a life jacket. Here, put this on. I did, and I watched him rummage around in his pocket. I noticed that he seemed to grow anxious, though when he couldn't seem to find whatever it was he was looking for. Where is it? I heard him mumble. It was right here. Where the hell is it? His eyes darted about crazily, and I could even hear his breathing speed up. Where's what? I asked, confused, and frankly a bit frightened. He spent another second or two patting himself down, before telling me to stay where I was while I went back to where we were. I sat in the canoe, wondering what was making Uncle Harvey wig out all of a sudden. What was he forgetting? The bait? I looked over the side of the canoe. There was a bucket of worms and breadcrumbs. Okay, well, if it wasn't the bait, we have life jackets and plenty of extra fishing line on hand, if anything happened. And what are we forgetting that's so important? I even patted myself down to make sure I wasn't the one forgetting something. I had everything, even the pocket knife I got for my 12th birthday. Maybe he forgot his cigarettes. He was a career chain smoker. Soon, though, he came walking back. Found him. He got back into the canoe and held out his hand. In his palms were two foam earplugs. Can't go without these. Thank God they just fell into my chair back at the fire pit. Here, go ahead and put them in. I looked at him for a second, 
expecting him to bust up laughing and tell me he was yanking my chain or something. But nope, he was dead serious. Go on, he urged. Stick him in your ears. Trust me, you'll be glad you did. I cocked my eyebrow at him. Why, though? What are they for? His face fell into a fearful expression, almost similar to the way Dad's face was before. For the whisperings, he said, his breath shuddering. I scoffed and chuckled, telling him to stop trying to scare me, that I wasn't three years old anymore, that I wasn't afraid of the whisperings. His face stayed the same, utterly petrified. Look, he said, his voice abruptly deepening. Either you get those things in your damn ears, boy, or we can forget about going out in the lake. Still utterly bewildered, I twisted them to fit into my ear. He did the same with a pair of his own before giving a canoe a hard shove and hopping in. For the first half hour or so, we rode in silence. The tension from a few minutes ago still lingering between us. I couldn't help but begin wondering what exactly these whisperings were. Why were they so dangerous? And then again, I was cycled right back to wondering what Dad meant by last time. What happened? I asked, finally breaking the silence. He looked at me quizzically. Hey, here at the lake, I mean. Why are you and Dad so afraid of the lake? His terrified expression returned. I almost instantly regretted opening my damn mouth. He sighed and said, Well, back when we were youngins, Daddy and I once knew a couple of kids that used to play out here in the lake with... He pulled out a pack of his eagle greens and lit it. Of course, he didn't forget those. He took a long drag of it before digging into his bucket of bait and stringing a worm to the end of his hook. Now, like you... He began again, casting his line into the lake. All our folks used to always tell us to be aware of what was out here. And, like you, me and your daddy's heads were full of rocks. We figured we knew better. He then passed the bucket to me, and I began stringing a worm to my own hook while it continued. So one day, me and your dad decided to drag our next-door neighbors... Marcy, Kate, and her brother, Kenny, down here to the lake with us. They weren't big on the idea at first, but being the belligerent little dumbasses we were, we badgered and bullied them into cave. I cast my line up in the lake and continued listening, keeping a close eye on the barber. Or at least Marcy, Kate, caved, he said, chuckling dryly. Your dad was always one to teasing dicking on a girl back then, especially the ones he liked. Anyway, so me, him, and little Marcy came out to the river and fished for a while. He paused for a moment, losing himself in thought. His face seemed stuck between one of stoicism and one of fear. Finally, he took a drag of his cigarette before continuing. God, we probably fished for hours that day. I don't really remember much, except that when we'd set out, it couldn't have been but a little past noon. Before we knew it, though, it was getting to be sundown. He looked around and laughed ironically, kind of like it is now. I looked around. It was right. The sun's rays just barely beamed through the trees. 
That was when it started for me. When I would hear, first hear, what Uncle Harvey for years warned me of. The whisperings. It was very, very faint. No doubt helped in part to the earplugs I had in my ears. Still, though, I could hear what sounded like a young girl giggling. I did my best to ignore it, though, figuring my mind was must have been getting too into Uncle Harvey's anecdote. Marcy Kate wanted to go back, he continued. She knew, whisperings or not, our folks would tan our hides if we weren't home come nightfall for supper. We knew, too, but God forbid me or your dad having any common sense back then. We told her to quit being a prissy little chicken. As he spoke, the giggling sounds increased ever so slightly, sounding like it was getting closer from a distance. So there we were, he continued, staring into the distance, sailing along here in the river, when suddenly Marcy started saying that she heard something calling her name. Of course, we didn't hear anything, so we thought she was yanking our chain to try and get us to turn around. At least at first... He paused again and took another long drag of his cigarette. I began to hear the giggling sound much, much closer now. At one point, I thought I actually heard the same little girl's voice calling out to me, Wesley, Wesley. Eventually, though, Uncle Harvey said, snapping my focus back to him, I started hearing it too. I told him I heard our ma hollering for us. He wasn't buying it, though. He told me I was just trying to be all cute, sticking up for little Marcy like a kiss-ass. Tried to tell him, though, that I wasn't playing around here. I heard our ma calling out for us. Finally, I told him to listen, and he'd believe me. So he did. He stopped suddenly. What? What is it? I turned to him, his face increasing, with a sense of alarm, of dread. It's, it's nothing, I replied. Not sure what I was hearing was actually happening. His face sunk further. He asked me again what it was I was listening to. I told him, as skeptically as possible, that it was nothing. That I, I thought I might have heard a voice saying my name. I almost instantly regretted saying that because he immediately kicked it into overdrive, taking up the oars began hastily rowing us back to the bank. Grab your paddles and start rowing, boy. I remained still. I was, in a way, stuck. The sounds were now shifting to a deeper pitch, a familiar pitch. Wesley. 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 Dad? It was right on top of me now. I started turning to look for who or where it was coming from. It wasn't just some sort of distorted mimicry, either. No, this sounded just like my old man. It sounded so vivid, so clear. It was like it was coming from right beside me in the boat. Wesley, Wesley, it's time to come home. Snap out of it, boy, Uncle Harvey barked, jolting my focus back to him. Grab those oars and get to rowing, now. Stupor broken, I took up my set and began paddling along with him. 
It wasn't long, though, before the whispers were kicking up again. I was hearing Dad's voice, clear as a sunny day, telling me to come home. I remember being, among other things, completely confused, lost. What was he talking about? We're heading home now. Why was he saying... Wesley, Uncle Harvey shouted again. I found myself being jolted awake again. I'd somehow gotten too caught up in my thoughts that I didn't even realize I'd frozen up again. I quickly shook my head, rubbing my eyes, before resuming rowing. I started rowing frantically, like how Uncle Harvey was now. Stop rowing and come home, Wesley. Come on home. What? What do you mean? I was so caught up that I almost didn't even realize I'd actually said that out loud. Still paddling furiously, Uncle Harvey shouted at me to ignore it. You ignore anything you're seeing or hearing. It ain't real, you hear? Just keep rowing. My heart started speeding up. I kept rowing as hard as my arms would allow. The entire time, though, the voice, Dad's voice, kept ringing in my ears, telling me to stop rowing, to come home. Eventually, I felt something on my shoulder. It felt warm like a large hand had just grabbed it. My head snapped to look, seeing no one. Before I'd get the chance to ask myself what it was, though, Dad's voice boomed in my ears. I said it was time to come home, boy. You better mind what I say. Now, I was getting scared. I mean, yeah, okay, it wasn't real, but it sounded so much like him that I was losing my ability to tell the difference. My lungs felt like they were starving with panic, and my vigorous rowing caused me to start gasping like the actual fish in the lake. I felt the warm feeling of my shoulder being grabbed again. It was tighter this time, feeling the same way my dad grabbed my shoulder when he was having serious conversations with me. When I looked again, my blood froze solid. Beside me in the boat, somehow, resting on the edge, was my old man. Again, this wasn't some cheap imitation of him. No, this was my father. Every detail of him, from his balding hairline to his bushy eyebrows, his perpetual five o'clock shadow, and even the stone-cold stare he wore whenever he was giving me an order. All of it a perfect match for him. He sat on the edge of the boat, yet it didn't lean over like it should have with his weight. He opened his mouth and I heard his voice boom again. Come on home, son, now! It sounded just like the tones he used when he was saying it for the last time nicely. That the next time he had to say it would likely involve the belt to my ass. This said chills down my spine. If that wasn't him, then why did it look and sound exactly like him? Come on now, we're going home, he repeated again, gesturing his head over the edge of the boat where he sat. Suddenly, I saw him lean over and disappear into the lake. Wait, I exclaimed, almost out of reflex than anything else. Come on, Wesley, now. I felt an overwhelming urge to move to go to the side of the boat. Gazing over the side of the boat, I could see him staring back at me, waving his hand to join him, to join him in the lake. From deeper in the lake, I saw a blinding yet beautiful ball of light take shape, and he began to sink down towards it, 
waving for me to follow it, to come home. Before I knew it, I saw the light getting closer. Everything seemed calm now, still and quiet. The change was so sudden, so abrupt, that my mind must have not processed it. It didn't matter to me, though. Everything was calm. Everything was fine. I was approaching the light. Dad was further ahead, also approaching the light. He turned to me one more time, still descending toward the light. He outstretched his hands and warmly smiled. Welcome home, son. I realized that I was doing it. I was heading home. I got closer and closer to it, to Dad's open arms, to the light, to home. Lower and lower I went. All of a sudden, a, a warm feeling swept through me, starting at my face. It got hotter and hotter the closer I got toward the light. The closer I got, the more I also saw that its blinding aura started to dim. I could stare straight at it now without it hurting my eyes. This effect diminished its beauty, yet still it was so hypnotic. I couldn't turn away. I couldn't resist continuing towards it. I was so close to it. Dad's smile grew. It was almost there, almost home. Closer, closer. The light began to morph. I could see something inside of it. It was more light, moving and dancing about wildly. I realized, noticing how the closer I got, the warmer it seemed to get, that they were flames. Fire? But how? How could there be a fire underwater? Then I saw Dad sink further and further into the light, into the flames. His skin slowly began to char and flake away until only his skeleton remained. Then again, I heard his command. Even with all his flesh burned away, it was still his voice, a perfect match. That was when my curiosity was devoured by raw panic, and I began flailing violently, trying my damnedest to pull myself away from the light. It was useless, however, as no matter how much I tried to kick and claw myself away, it seemed to gain in on me. I could feel the scorching of the flames singeing the backs of my feet. Better stop running, Wesley. The command shook through me like a thunderbolt. Still, I kept flailing away with all my strength. I could hear other voices emanating from the light now as well. They were the voices of people I knew, like Mom and even Uncle Harvey, as well as ones I didn't recognize. They were simultaneous, and they all repeated the same phrase. Come home, Wesley. Come home. Eventually, my body began failing me, unable to pull myself along any longer. The blazing heat behind me was now crawling up and around my legs and up my back. The voices were all around me. I could see them all now. Millions of skeletons engulfed in flames, all screaming, Come home! I struggled to force my body forward, but it was no use. My arms and legs felt like rubber, and I noticed for the first time that my lungs were starving. I was forced to open my mouth and immediately inhaled a mouthful of water. The consuming light closed further and further in around me as my vision blurred and darkened. I could just faintly feel my skin begin to blister, searing away like the rest of them as I slowly lost consciousness. 
The last thing I can remember before I went completely dark was feeling pulled away, still hearing my name being chanted, only getting fainter and fainter. I couldn't tell you how long I was out. The next thing I knew, though, was choking and gasping for fresh air, coughing up water as I did so. When I could finally breathe properly again, I saw that I was on the bank. The canoe was slowly drifting away along the lake. I was soaking wet. Uncle Harvey was hunched over me, also drenched and out of breath. Are you all right? I didn't answer. My tongue felt like it had swollen after biting it. Instead, I looked at him, terrified, confused, and just ready to crumple into a ball and cry like a little baby. Sure enough, that's exactly what I did. Right there on the bank, I started crying. I couldn't hold back any of it. Try as I might. Uncle Harvey wrapped his arms around me, and I actually heard his own voice break as he quietly said, Shh, it's all right now. It's all right now. I got you. They ain't going to get you. I got you. Finally, I looked up at him and managed to find a little strength to speak. What, what, what was the whisperance? That's what that was, boy. That was them wicked whisperings, and they damn near took you. He paused, and I could actually see his entire body shudder, as if cold. But I got you now. It's going to be okay. I sat huddled in his arms for about another five or ten minutes before he got me to get up. We then headed back to the house in silence. I will say that despite it being mostly quiet, still hear the muffled screams ringing in my ears. It was around one in the morning when we finally made it back to the house. Ma and Dad were fast asleep, so we still, despite our anxiety, tried to be as quiet as possible as we made our way to our rooms. Just before going to his room, Uncle Harvey turned and whispered to me, asking one more time if I was okay. Still shaken beyond even the ability to speak, I just slightly nodded my head before turning into the guest room. It's no surprise to say I got absolutely no sleep that night. Hell, I couldn't even close my eyes for two seconds without seeing that burning, damning aura with all the flames, all the screaming skeletons. And all through the night, you guessed it, I'd hear them. Come home, Wesley. Come home. We ended up leaving early the next morning. Uncle Harvey said he was meeting friends out of town. The look he gave me when he said this told me the truth, though. He was trying to do me a favor. He knew I didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't say anything, but just played along as best as I could, like nothing happened. I hugged Uncle Harvey and said goodbye. The last thing he said to me was, Stay safe, you hear? He had that same expression of cold terror on his face that he did on the bank the previous night. Ma and Dad exchanged goodbyes and thanked Uncle Harvey for having us over for another birthday before heading home. Like I said, I've never been back to Grinview Pines. For every birthday after that, Uncle Harvey decided he'd come visit us. Admittedly, it wasn't quite the same, 
Sure, he still made his famous birthday trout for me, but things were definitely different between him and me. Before, I just thought he was a crazy cool uncle who told spooky stories to me. The bad uncle, some might call it. But not anymore. Not now that I knew he was right, that the whisperings were real. I never told my dad about what happened to me at the lake, though I think he knew something was different about me after that last visit. Thankfully, he never pressed me about it. Truthfully, I probably wouldn't have not known what to actually say to him if he did. I'm 25 now, and this is the first time I've actually ever tried telling the story. To this day, I still hear them whispering. It's only very faint, but I can still hear them chanting, screaming for me to join them, to come home. What they really are, what they want, or how or why they're in the lake, questions I don't have the courage or the stamina to dig up answers for. For all intents and purposes, they were exactly what Uncle Harvey said they were. Wicked whisperings. You can believe me or blow me off. I couldn't really care less. But I will tell you this right now. If you're ever in Grinview Pines, be careful of what you see or hear. And for the love of God, if you're in the lake, ignore anything you see or hear. Just like Uncle Harvey always told me. Always keep the boat rowing. I hope you enjoyed Keep the Boat Rowing by Corpse Child, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash corpse-child. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash C-O-R-P-S-E dash C-H-I-L-D You may have heard his work appear on our program on Season 10, Episode 9. If you're one of the lucky ones to have access to the extended episode, but if not, take heart, for he'll be with us all evening this time around. Be sure to visit his Reddit page for more weird works and sinister spooks. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please... Leave Corpse Child a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis Jarvis, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Row, row, row your boat quickly down the stream. Don't jump off and go for a swim. And please don't touch the blade. Ah... Change a few words, and a nursery rhyme will never go out of style. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com.
But this prior tale, thankfully it's all contained to that lake. Just don't go out there for your vacation, or business lunch, or bar mitzvah. Hey, you'll, all, you'll be all set. But not everyone is so fortunate to be able to leave their troubles behind. In our next Corpse Child story, some people just have their troubles follow them wherever they go. Without further ado, I present to you Dead Whispers. I'm insane. Please, just, just tell me I'm insane. Please, tell me that I'm a delusional freak who deserves to be locked up. Hell, call me a schizohead or a psychomaniac. Fucking anything. Just for the love of God, tell me this isn't real. If it is, I, I, I don't know what I'll do. It's been going on for almost two and a half months now. At least since Jackie died. Jacqueline, the girl I took under my wing. The girl I let down and now the source of my torment. We'd met about a month and a half ago. And I was still working a dead-end job as a cook for Porky Brothers. The old barbecue joint that sat in the middle of town town. Where... I lived before it closed down last week. I still remember how we met. I was out back having a smoke. The only one I'd had so far that day. I'd just about gotten into a fist fight with Rick, one of the waiters who always particularly disliked me for whatever reason. The guy seemed to amuse himself by trying to crack a bullwhip over my back to hurry up with an order. And of course, a customer would complain about something being wrong with the food, be it not seasoned enough, or something was still cold, you can bet your bottom fucking dollar the son of a bitch would be in my ear about it. That time was over the order being three minutes late, even though we were getting slammed with business and I barely had any help with multiple people calling out. I was already tired from having to pull a double and I'd been putting up with this shit for far longer than I ever should have, and I was about to break his face in when Wendell, my buddy, and one of the only other cooks working with me that day, stepped in and told me to go take a smoke. So I did, without a single word. So there I was, puffing away at a Marlboro Red, when she approached me for the first time. I could tell she'd been crying and her clothes were torn and raggedy. Um, <clears throat> Can I bum a smoke, she asked, her voice shaking. I looked in the pack, seeing that there was only one left. After the one I was smoking, admittedly, I almost told her no. Looking at her, though, I guess at the time I didn't have the heart. Thank you. She just stood next to me, silently dragging on her smoke. Part of me wanted to ask if she was okay, but at the same time, I knew she wasn't. The way she looked said everything. Tattered clothes, the way she was quivering, still in tears, and just how utterly frightened she was. Plus, I could see bruises on her cheekbones and around her mouth. I was heartbroken. I must have somehow shown it, too, because she soon told me that it was nothing, just an accident. An accident, my ass. She shrunk a bit before taking another drag. She told me that 
It was just a misunderstanding that it wouldn't happen again. I was becoming enraged. I wasn't a saint, sure, but damn it, I was raised to believe that no matter what, man doesn't put hands on a woman like that. I wanted to find and hand this piece of shit his ass on a platter before putting him down like the animal he was. What happened? Why'd he do it? I finally managed to ask. She shook her head. Look, don't worry about it, okay? You wouldn't get it anyway. I think I get it perfectly well. Some bastard just beat the hell out of you, and you're afraid of getting him in trouble by telling me who he is. Oh, yeah, she scoffed. And what are you going to do, huh? Kick his ass? Why not? At least then I can kick someone's ass today. This made her chuckle. <laughs> Bad day, huh? Look who's talking. This time we both laughed. Name's Otto, by the way. Jacqueline, she said, her voice sounding just a little less timid. She flicked her cigarette out before thanking me and turning to leave. Oh, hold up! I shot my hand out to her, stopping her. I pulled out one of the order tickets I'd crumpled up earlier out of anger and scrawled out my phone number. Call me later, okay? She looked at it and then at me, smiling. You got it. She then turned and left, and I went back inside to continue torturing myself with the rest of the shift. That night, when I finally got home, at 1.45 a.m., having to close the kitchen, I was grabbing a beer from the fridge when my phone buzzed with a text message. Hey, it's me, Jacqueline. I just want to say thanks for talking to me and letting me bum a smoke. It really made my day better. I smiled. Something I hadn't done all day, or all week for that matter, and replied that I was glad I had made somebody happy today. I also texted her that if she wanted to talk about anything, that I'd be there. After that, there was no reply for a while, so I decided to proceed with drinking myself to sleep that night. When I woke up the next morning, by that I really mean about a half hour at noon, I found that there were a couple of texts from her waiting for me. The first one was only about three hours after the one I sent her. That would be nice. Thank you. There were two others sent about another hour after that one, only each about ten minutes or so apart from each other. Hey, you still up? I'm kind of scared here. Can we please talk? My eyes stepped wide when I saw this. I felt my heart drop. The timestamp for these messages had been from five hours ago when I was asleep. She needed me and I wasn't there. Immediately, I shot her a text saying that I was sorry I didn't see her messages and asked if she was okay. My heart was racing, waiting, praying for a response. Finally, about five minutes later, my phone buzzed with a response. Hey, it's fine. Everything's okay. Sorry for worrying you. My heart slowly returned to normal. At least she's alive. I asked her what happened and if she was hurt. She replied that she was all right and that she was overreacting. Though I was relieved that she was okay for now, I wasn't convinced that she was just overreacting. Look, I'm no kind of trauma counselor or psychologist. 
but I wasn't born yesterday either. I'd seen before where I'd see friends of mine looking like Jackie did with bruises, cuts, and black eyes covering them after their pieces of shit boyfriends would come along, usually sloshed with some wild hair in their asses. Every time, they too would try to pass it off as something like overreacting or just an accident or not what it looked like. I decided to ask if she was open for lunch that afternoon, since I was off work. She replied that she was busy, but that dinner might be an option. I told her that'd be great, and asked if she'd like me to pick her up. She replied with her address, and I told her I'd be around by 6.30 that evening. After that, I spent the day getting cleaned up and rummaging through my storage unit of an apartment for something nice, or at least halfway decent, to wear to dinner. I wanted to make an impression. I wanted her to see that good men do still exist that can treat her like a lady, you know? If nothing else, I figured maybe it'd help her feel more secure and might open up about what was going on. About five o'clock that evening, I managed to find the suit I wore for my brother's wedding and was putting it through a cycle in the wash. That's when my phone buzzed with a text from Jackie. Hey... I know this is awkward, but is there any way you could come get me now? I froze. I'd just put the suit in the washer, and it wouldn't be done for another 20 minutes. I asked her if everything was okay. She replied that she was fine, but really wanted to meet up now. I asked what was going on, but she didn't reply after that. I was floored. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. Part of me wanted to try and press for details, and I was getting a bit nervous with how vague she was being with everything. I wondered what I'd see once I got there. Would she even be alive when I got there? Again, I'd seen shit like this play out before, and I wasn't just going to sit by and watch it happen with Jackie. I started imagining what her boyfriend was like, imagining a six-foot-two gorilla whose breath reeked perpetually Bud Light. It was with this in mind that I said, fuck the suit, and threw on a t-shirt and jeans, the plainest ones I could find, and hopped in my car. I shot her a text saying I was on my way as I all but peeled out of the parking lot. It took me about 15 minutes to find where she lived, having to backtrack once or twice through roads I wasn't real familiar with. The city I lived in was small, sure, exactly get out much, which made it all unfamiliar territory for me. Her house was a small one just off the corner of the downtown area, isolated with only two other houses neighboring it. When I pulled up, I noticed there wasn't a vehicle parked in the driveway. Damn it. Too late. Fucker's already gone. I thought as I jumped out of the car and made my way to the porch. My hand tightly gripped around the butterfly knife I always keep in my pocket. It's not exactly a nice neighborhood I live in. Jacqueline, I called, knocking on the door. For about a minute, nothing happened. Tried leaning my ear to the door to see if I could hear anything. Nothing. It was when I was texting her, telling her that I was on the porch, that I heard the door slowly open. The front door cracked open. My heart stopped when I saw her face was worse than the previous day, covering almost every inch of her face with cuts and 
fresh bruises alongside the ones from before. My jaw fell open and hung like someone tied a brick of lead to it. I was horrified, while at the same time overcome with rage. Now I wanted the bastard six feet in the ground, and I wanted to be the one that dug his grave. But what? She stepped out onto the porch, quickly shutting the door behind her. She stood there silently, her face chiseled in a state of fear, and her eyes locked onto my feet, seemingly unable to make contact with mine. Now, in the full light outside, I saw how one eye was so badly beaten it was almost swollen shut. As well as this, there were gashes now across her cheeks, fresh and still trickling with blood. I was speechless. I wasn't sure how to begin. I didn't know whether to demand that she tell me who this animal was, or where I could find him, where to grab her and hold her in the tightest bear hug I could manage. In the end, I just stood still, speechless with horror. Finally, she broke the silence and asked, shaking, Can we go, please? Almost absently, I nodded and stammered, Where to? I don't care, she said, her voice breaking. I just need to get out. I gently took her hand and led her into my car and we drove off. I decided against trying to take her out to a restaurant or anything like that, lugging the way she did and all. With no other ideas of where to go, I asked if she'd like to come back with me to my place for dinner. She just nodded nervously again. That'd be nice. I'll have to warn you, though, I'm not exactly the tidiest. I chuckled when I said this, hoping to lighten the mood with that. It didn't work. Doesn't matter. It'll be fine, she said anxiously, still quivering like she was cold. I could tell she wasn't in the mood to hear my voice at the moment, so the rest of the way to my apartment was spent in silence. The whole time, her eyes stared about a thousand yards ahead, through the windshield while she shook at her passenger seat. When we pulled up to my apartment before I could even cut the engine off, Jacqueline was already undoing her seatbelt and opening the door. As quickly as I could, I turned the car off and got out after her. I got her to follow me back to my apartment. Ta-da! I said awkwardly as I opened the door to reveal my wreck of an apartment. Home sweet home, or at least as sweet as it can be. I saw her look at me, her eyes still wide and nervous, yet still parting the left corner of her lip up with a shy half-smile. I threw some of my clutter that was on the couch to the floor beside it, giving her a place to sit down. She stood in the doorway for a second before finally trudging in and sitting down. Would you like a drink, I asked, opening the fridge. Must warn you, all I got are Millers. But they're fresh and cold. She smiled weakly again and replied, No thanks. I grabbed one for myself and made my way to the couch, sitting next to her. For the first five minutes or so, my apartment was so dead silent that you'd have been able to hear a pin dropping from the fifth floor above me. She just sat, staring at the floor. A couple of times, I saw her shaking her head like she was dizzy or something. I broke the silence by asking her if she'd like to watch something on TV. She didn't seem to notice me at first, so I called her name again. 
This time her head snapped up to me. Her face looked lost and afraid at the same time. Huh? You want to watch some TV? Oh, uh, yeah, that'd be nice. I turned it on and started flipping through channels. I finally managed to land on an episode of Family Guy and stop there. I asked her if uh, she was cool with that, telling her it was one of my favorites, though to be honest it wasn't. She just shrugged and said she didn't mind. By that point, it was really starting to eat away at me, at what she wasn't telling me. Again, I get it. People in her situation, especially after a particularly bad episode, like what she dealt with earlier, tend not to want to talk about it. But that didn't make things any easier for me. I became especially anxious when I saw her starting shaking her head clutching her temples. Then I started hearing her faintly mutter under her breath. No, no, stop it. I don't want to. Stop. Stop what? I asked nervously, putting my hand on her shoulder. She didn't seem to notice, instead shaking her head more violently and tearing at her hair. Her clawing became violent, pulling at her ears, and I was scared she was about to rip them off. I realized she must have been having a psychological episode, maybe PTSD or something from getting the hell beat out of her that day. Unsure of what to do, I grabbed her arms and shouted her name. Jacqueline! Jacqueline! She finally stopped and looked at me again. Her eyes were wide, almost unnaturally so, looking absolutely lost and flooding with tears. Her breathing was heavy. It's okay, I said softly. It's okay, I'm here. I've got you. I don't really know why I said that. Truthfully, I didn't believe what I said. Just being lost, not more so than she was. I guess it was the only thing I knew to say to make her feel better, or at least to keep her from doing serious harm to herself. Thankfully, it seemed to do as much because body immediately relaxed as she then curled into a ball and buried her face in her hands, sobbing. I just froze. What was I supposed to do here? I wanted to hold her, but at the same time I knew that might cause her to freak out again. One thing was certain. I definitely wanted to beat the shit out of the boyfriend. I'm sorry, she said through her hands. I shouldn't have come here. I'm I'm sorry. I should go. She started to get up from the couch. I got up to stop her. Back to him? I asked. She tried to push past me to the door. I continued to block her. I couldn't let her go back to that. Hell, I wasn't even sure I was comfortable leaving her alone at this point. What are you talking about? Her boyfriend. The piece of shit that's done this to you. She shrunk down again, closing her eyes and saying, Look, you don't get it. My boyfriend didn't do this. I don't have a boyfriend, okay? I live alone. Just please, I need to go home. I was caught off guard by this. She didn't have a boyfriend or anyone else. Then who's been beating her up like this? As much as I wanted to press that question, I could see that she was desperate to leave. Then at least let me take you home, please. Just so I know you'll be okay. 
She looked happy and nodded. Sure. We drove in silence. Well, silent, except for her constantly mumbled. I said, no, I won't go. I don't want to. Leave me alone. I said nothing, but I can't lie. This was starting to scare me. I was terrified that at any moment she was going to start trying to tear her hair or something again. Fortunately, that didn't happen. When we pulled into her house before she could bolt out like she couldn't get out fast enough, put a hand out, stopping her. Call me tomorrow morning, okay? Just to let me know everything's okay, please? She half-heartedly nodded before getting out of the car. After she went inside her house, I just sat there for a good five or so minutes, waiting for something to happen. I almost expected to see her in the window getting hurt, either by herself or someone else, and that I was going to have to rush in after her. As it happened, all the lights were off and it was dead silent. I managed to satisfy myself that for the time being, she was okay and left her house. It was no surprise that on the drive home that night, my mind was entrapped by one big question. What the hell was going on with Jacqueline? Why was she hurting herself the way she was? What was causing her to have episodes like she did at my apartment? Did something happen to her? Maybe something that somehow scarred her? That would make sense. And that brought up the question why she hadn't sought help. Hell, had she told anybody? If not, then why? Of course, all of this was eclipsed by the biggest question. Who the hell was she talking to when she was saying, Stop, I don't want to. The only conclusion I could think of now was that she might have had some form of schizophrenia, or even some dual personality, or something like that. Again, I'm no expert on psychology, but based on what I'd seen, that was the only way I could explain what was going on. This, however, made me feel all the more uneasy about leaving her by herself. It was a good thing I was off work the next day, too, because all through the night I was essentially on high alert, just waiting for her to call or text me, panicking again. In other words, sleep was not an option. What's worse is, the entire time, try as I would otherwise, even downing a few millers, I couldn't take my mind off of it to relax. I kept imagining that the next time I saw her, it'd be in the hospital, or worse. All I could do was pray that she'd call the next morning, telling me that things were okay. Finally, at around 8 a.m., my phone rang. Out of reflex, I mashed the green button. Hello? Jacqueline? Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Your voice sounded normal. Actually, it almost seemed relaxed. It felt almost like a total 180 for the previous time. Listen, I'm sorry about last night. I know you probably think I'm nuts, but I can explain. Can we meet up again? Yeah, sure. Where at and what time? In an hour. At the park with the pier. Okay, uh, you want me to bring anything? Maybe something for... She hung up before I could finish. I got dressed quickly and got in my car. On the way to the park, 
I decided to stop by the nearby subway and grab us some food for us for lunch. The whole time I was wondering if the right thing to do would be to try admitting her to a hospital. I knew she probably wouldn't like the idea, but I couldn't just let her keep hurting herself like this, could I? I hadn't come to any sort of conclusion by the time I pulled up at the park, either. I resolved to hear her out first, then go from there. That way, I would at least have a better understanding of what was going on. I texted her, asking her where she was and where in the park she wanted to meet up. She replied about two seconds later, saying she was waiting at the pier by the lake. Grabbing the sandwiches, I headed into the park and to the lake. When I got there, I saw her sitting on the edge, looking out toward the lake. Hey, so I hope you don't mind, but I brought us a bite to... It's beautiful, isn't it? I stopped. Huh? The lake. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I slowly approached the rest of the way to her. She just sat still. My mother always tells me that the current of a lake would always wash away one's strife. That it was so peaceful to lose yourself in. Uh, okay... I said, unsure of what I was supposed to say to this. I couldn't explain it, but something felt off. It was like some dormant instinct, a sixth sense, you can call it. It was telling me that something was up. But what? When I reached her, I put my hand on her shoulder. You hungry? I picked us up some subs from Subway. I wasn't sure what you liked, so I got you a... I hear dead people. For a moment, everything almost seemed to freeze in place. She was still and motionless, and the way she said it was like she was accepting some great truth of life. I guess a better way of saying it is that she sounded numb or hollow. I hear dead people. She repeated in that same numb tone. They tell me to join them in the end, in him. My tongue felt swollen like it had been punched. I'm I'm sorry, what? You you hear dead people, yes. And they tell you to do what now? She was quiet again for a while. I was floored. How was I supposed to respond to that? How would you have responded to hearing this? They want me to go with them. She said finally, blankly. Go where? What do you mean? To the end, to join with them. They've been telling me that he is what waits for all of us. Huh? Who? You mean like God or something? What do you mean by waits for all of us? Even before she answered, though, I knew deep down the answer was something wrong. He doesn't have a name. He is all of us. He's what we become on the other side. He waits to be completed. They need me. He needs me to join. I could feel a series of chills prick down my spine hearing this. She sounded so relaxed when she said it, like it all seemed normal to her. It all sounded like something a cult member would say. and She said it like it was nothing. This was scaring the hell out of me now. 
and I was certain of one thing. One way or another, I had to find her some kind of help. They've been telling me this ever since my mother died last year. I always hear her telling me to follow her to the end and join with her. I slowly reached out and gently put my hand on her shoulder. Jackie, come on, let's get out of here. We can find someone to help me, she asked, interrupting me. Is that what you were going to say? I stayed silent. She let out a scoff and said, Look, if you won't believe me, what makes you think anyone else will? I was stumped. I wanted to grab her hand and take her to the nearest hospital. I wanted to tell her things were okay and that the voices weren't real. But I didn't. Instead, I clammed up. Besides which, she continued, starting to stand up. It's all right. Everything's going to be fine now. I'm done running. What happened next felt like it lasted an eternity, despite it lasting only about a couple of minutes. I remember briefly noticing that she had her shoelaces tied together in a ball, joining both feet together. While my brain was busy with wondering about this, as well as trying to take in what I was hearing, and trying to figure out how to find some help for her. She looked me in the eyes for the first time since I got there and said, Thanks for being here now, Autumn. I, for only a split second, saw that her hands were duct taped together. By the time it fully hit me exactly what she planned to do, I'd be too late to stop her. In one fluid motion, she flung her body backward was instantly swallowed by the lake. I rushed over and saw that she was almost too far down to see, only faintly glimpsing her eyes looking back up at me, wide and panicking. I turned back and shouted at a few others walking by to call 911 before diving headfirst into the lake after her. I flailed frantically as hard as possible, pushing myself deeper and deeper after her. It was useless, though. The light ran deep, and it got darker, murkier the further down it went. Because of this, I couldn't see a thing. I also had never been a good swimmer in the first place. I had to push myself back up for air and go back down again several times, still unable to reach her. Eventually, my body grew weak, and I couldn't even move my arms and legs anymore. My body then started sinking too, and I was forced to take in a mouthful of water unable to hold my breath any longer. That's when I finally blacked out, falling to the bottom of the lake along with Jacqueline. I remember coming to on the pier, dizzy, puking, and spewing up lake water. Over me was a paramedic holding a jump bag and an oxygen mask. He's responsive, he shouted to the group on the other side of the pier. Are you okay, sir? I stared blankly at him, still catching my breath. It took a moment before everything came rushing back to me. Jacqueline, I cried, bolting up. The paramedic stopped me, telling me to calm down. I looked around to see police officers at the edge of the pier begin walking toward me. When they questioned me as to what happened, told them the truth as I knew it, that she had jumped into the river after telling me that she'd heard voices. I expressed that I also had every intention of trying to find help for her. 
They seemed to accept this as there was no other evidence, physical or from witnesses, to suggest anything otherwise, and I was free to go home. From there, life sort of just went on. It was weird. I, of course, spent a couple of weeks following losing myself to the bottle every night after work. Finally, I was turned out from Porky Brothers. When it got to the point that I wasn't really able to function in the kitchen anymore. I read a week later in the paper that Jackie's body was finally found after dragging the lake. Eventually, though, I managed to actually sort of move on. Found another job at a much nicer restaurant, one that actually paid a bit better, and it felt like I could push Jacqueline to the back of my head, a distant memory. That's when I started hearing it, though, or rather hearing her. It happened one night when I'd come home from work and was about to go to bed when I started hearing her voice calling my name. Otto. Otto. Then I saw her. She looked like she did when she was alive. Actually, she looked even better, being without the bruises. I rubbed my eyes. What the hell? Otto, it's me, Jacqueline, remember? She was smiling when she said it. Her voice was smooth and calming. I closed my eyes, shaking my head. When I opened them, she was gone. Come on, man, get a grip. I decided to quickly down a couple of millers before going to bed. That night, in my sleep, though, there she was again. She was standing in front of me, naked and smiling warmly. You're lonely, aren't you, Otto? It's time. Come join us. Join with him. Before I can ask what she's talking about, as well as how she's there and what she wants with me. I hear a flurry of shrill whispers coming from behind me. Then out of the corner of my eyes, I see thousands of white streaks rush past, each of them elongated mouths screaming simultaneously, Come join us! I was horrified. I tried to make myself wake up, but it was no use. I could only watch as the screaming streaks began swirling around in a vortex motion behind Jacqueline. Jackie herself then started descending toward the center, her voice blending chaotically with the rest, enchanting for me to join with him. Upon reaching the center, I see her and the others start to morph, blending together and molding into the shape of a man. He, it, was tall and dark, like he was made out of the void itself, it had four long, gangly arms that stretched out further and further towards me to snatch me and drag me into it. Every part of it was comprised of the screaming faces as more and more of them continued to conjoin. All around me was a horrific cacophony of their screams. Join us! The last thing I remember hearing before waking up was Jackie's voice telling me it was time to join with him. I almost jumped out of my bed, and I didn't go back to sleep again that night. That was almost a month ago. Every day since, I keep seeing them, hearing them, always telling me to join them. Every time I see the thing, him, getting closer. I haven't been able to sleep, and I can't function during the day either. I'm always hearing them. I don't know what this thing is, or what it'll do when it reaches me in my sleep. 
but I'm 100% certain that it's probably something unholy, something horrible. I've been trying pills, but they only last so long before I hear them again. The only hope I have now is that I'm just fucking losing it. That grief is somehow driving me, like I drove Jackie with her mother to see this shit. I beg of you, please show me some kind of proof that what I'm seeing isn't real. I'm fucking scared right now. I can hear them right now. God damn it. I don't want to go. I hope you enjoyed Dead Whispers by Corpse Child, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash corpse-child. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash C-O-R-P-S-E dash C-H-I-L-D. Keep an eye out as his collection of tales continues to grow and prosper, much like the spaghetti that's been in the back of the refrigerator for the past three years. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. Be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program, and that me, Otis Jiry, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure Corpse Child would much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today 
or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.